Sound familiar? That's the infamous roar of cinema's most iconic giant lizard. On May 31st, Godzilla, King of the Monsters hit theaters, adding another entry into the list of more than 30 feature films in the Godzilla franchise. I think it's fair to say that following his first appearance in 1954, the big green lizard has become something of a lasting cultural icon, with movies, comic books, a children's cartoon, several Netflix specials, and even his own Blue Oyster cult song. But while most people can recognize the big guy, few know about his more serious origins. The truth is that for all of the monster brawling, extreme special effects, popcorn fair action that we've all come to know and love, Godzilla was actually the first anti-nuke movie. This is Nukes of Hazard, a podcast from the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation in Washington, D.C. I'm Jeff Wilson, policy analyst at the Center, and your new host. So let's talk a little bit about his origins. What do nuclear weapons actually have to do with Godzilla? After the 1945 atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the occupying U.S. forces forbade the Japanese from writing anything about atomic weapons, with U.S. censors blocking them until 1952. Even then, not much was written about what the Japanese had experienced. But on March 1st, 1954, the United States carried out a major new hydrogen bomb test. With energy produced through the fusion of atoms rather than their splitting, the Castle Bravo test detonated with the force of 15 million tons of TNT, 1,000 times more powerful than either of the bombs dropped on Japan. To this day, it remains the largest nuclear weapon ever detonated by the United States. Castle Bravo's explosive power surprised even its designers, who had estimated its yield at only 6 million tons of TNT. Their miscalculation actually cost lives, as radiation and nuclear fallout spread far beyond the expected blast radius. The Japanese fishing boat, Lucky Dragon No. 5, was well outside of the exclusion zone that the U.S. had declared before the test yet they would be met with tragedy. They reported a flash of light as bright as the sun that temporarily blinded the crew, followed by the roar of an explosion at a full eight minutes later. Though they had turned the ship around to run from the explosion, the damage had already been done. Lucky Dragon No. 5 returned home to Japan with all her hands suffering from acute radiation syndrome, which included headaches, burns on their skin, bleeding from their gums, and other intense symptoms. Six months later, on September 23rd, Lucky Dragon No. 5's radio man became the first person to die from an H-bomb. That test was the catalyst for Godzilla. Toho Studios decided to make a movie that reflected the anger and fear of the Japanese people concerning U.S. nuclear weapons. Picking director Ishiro Honda, a man who had walked through the devastated ruins of Hiroshima as a soldier to helm the picture, Toho and Honda created a monster, awakened by American nuclear testing in the Pacific, who was completely impervious to all of man's conventional forces. He could breathe atomic fire and emerge from Tokyo Bay as a force of nature, leaving nothing in his wake but ash and the ruins of a once mighty city. Characters throughout the film make a constant reference to the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings, and Godzilla's very skin was designed to look like the keloid scars seen on survivors of those two bombings. When the movie opened, 
just over a month after the death of Lucky Dragon No. 5's radio man, audiences were greeted by an opening scene in which a fishing boat, which was designated as Number 5, witnesses a blinding flash of light before being sunk with all hands. The ship's radio operator, the first to die. Audiences watched in silence. Here was a searing depiction of the consequences of nuclear war. It was allegorical, yes, but it wasn't just a tale of fiction. The monster, like nuclear weapons, was uncaring, unsympathetic, and once his terror was unleashed, all but impossible to stop. Even when he returned to the sea, Godzilla left behind the creeping killer of radiation and nuclear fallout. And the movie ends with the heroes besting Godzilla, but only by deploying a weapon as equally terrifying as the monster. Called the Oxygen Destroyer, the weapon was so dangerous that after the destruction of the monster, its creator takes his own life so that a second one can never be built. The movie ends on a somber note, with the surviving heroes warning that if nations continue to test nuclear weapons, it may not be long before another Godzilla is loosed upon the world. To explore the nuclear themes of this movie a little bit more, we had a discussion in our office. Also, a disclaimer, we recorded this conversation right before the new movie hit theaters. Rachel Eamond is the Scoville Fellow at the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation, who works on the intersection between gender and nuclear policy issues. And Deborah Combs is a policy intern here, working on missile defense and U.S. nuclear weapons policy. So thanks for coming on, guys. We're going to have a little discussion now about sort of like this really interesting network like cross-section between Hollywood and nuclear weapons, and the first and most important of all of them, right? <laughs> so there's a lot to break down, and this includes just sort of generally how nukes are portrayed in Hollywood, right, Deborah? Like sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Yeah, it's a very mixed bag, particularly with the Godzilla movies. I think they've done a pretty bad job of representing nukes, especially when you look at like the original purpose of the movies. Um, even in the most recent one, like the representation is a mixed bag. I know we disagree on this a little bit <laughs> about how how nukes were represented in that specific movie. Right. But yeah, it's a mixed bag overall. I would right. say we see them as good things, right? In movies like Independence Day, the heroes blow up the alien spaceship with a nuke. Right. Tony Stark flies a nuke so, up yeah, into a wormhole. Yeah. yeah. You know, like so. So they're good things some of the time, right? Mm. Maybe in the the biggest example in in Hollywood's Pacific Rim, which is another giant monster kaiju movie, they actually use a nuclear weapon, like the total antithesis of Godzilla, to win the day in the end. Yeah, if you go back to the 1950s too, I mean 1950s and 1960s, there were tons of Cold War movies that had all of these like major monsters in them, and they were all like low key propaganda, right? That it was like. Like giant ants. Them. Them. Yeah. yeah. The the giant woman, the movie about the giant woman, these were all like stories about like crazy creatures that were created by nuclear weapons, but ultimately they weren't like that bad. They were necessary and or like or like the the creatures were portrayed as Russia, right? Yeah. They were like, that's what will happen if we let Russia win the Cold War, yeah. so we have to be better. And this almost happens immediately following Godzilla, right? In 1956, there's an American remake of the original Toho, right? Yeah, yeah. So pretty much what they did was they took out all of the negative images of the United States, including nuclear weapons. And they sort of just added an American as, I guess, a storytelling device. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really sort of just changed the entire feel of the movie. 
and the, you know it was immediate. It was two years after. And even the 1956 version is the is the is the version that most people think of when they think of the original right. Godzilla. They don't even think about the original Japanese version. Right. And I think that's yeah, that's really interesting. Right. Yeah. And there's this really interesting like American whitewashing of this yeah. franchise, right? Like yeah. in 1998, Roland Emmerich makes a Godzilla movie, and it's blamed on French nuclear yeah. testing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely just been, like, an overall cultural appropriation kind of thing, theme going on. You know, like, Japanese culture and, culture and relationship related to nuclear weapons is so vastly different from the American relationship to nuclear weapons. Um, it's, like, the oppressor versus the oppressed, and we can, like, like, there's a completely different conversation to be had about whether or not the United States should have dropped a nuclear bomb on Japan and like whether or not that was the like a proportional response to what was going on that has nothing to do with this but the point is Japan has actually experienced you know having a bomb dropped on the people of its country mm -hmm. and then these like horrible nuclear tests where there was you know huge catastrophic results from these weapons being tested and used they've actually felt that so for us to completely co-opt you know something that they were using as expression to say like this is how this made us feel. This is why we're so scared of these weapons. This is why we don't believe they should exist, which was absolutely the moral of the OG Godzilla story. For us to take it and be like, it's not that bad. Like, you're yeah. overreacting. And then to continue on, like, producing more movies that just get farther and farther away from that is, it's like the definition of cultural appropriation. Right. And it's interesting because, like, in the most recent Japanese Godzilla movie, we still see this sort of nuclear allegory, mm -hmm. right? In, like, what, 2015, 2016? 2016, 2016, yeah. 2016 uh, Shin Godzilla is released in Japan, right? And it's a follow-up to the Fukushima disaster, right? right? Yeah. And, and the movie itself is this allegory about the ineffectuality of Japanese government. Yeah, it's still know? super political. Like, they're like, okay, sure, we're going to continue with the Godzilla thing because it's clearly still popular, but... There's like, a point to it. Yeah. There's a point yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a point to it. And it feels like in the American movies, especially in the 1998 one, which I, I have to add is an awful movie, but there's really is no point like at the end, just sort of like what just happened here? Why did I just watch this movie? Yeah. Um, it just kind of turned into like, you know, uh, Jurassic Park in New York City, pretty much. Well, it's interesting because, you know, from the Hollywood perspective, I think the 1998 Roland Emmerich movie was supposed to be the beginning of another franchise, right? Mm -hmm. like, I think they originally said they wanted to make three movies off of it. And then it went nowhere, right? Um, Shocker. And, and we can kind of see that with, with new Godzilla, right? New American Godzilla. We're on number two of this new expanded monster universe, right? That includes now like King Kong and Pacific Rim and all of these monsters that, that, uh, that I think it's Lionsgate has, has bought up, right? Yeah. The rights to? Yeah. Um, and so they want to make sort of like an Avengers thing out of Godzilla movies. Yeah. And, and it has left behind some of that cultural significance, some of that importance about what the point of this monster originally was, right? Yeah, yeah. It's pure action at this point. Yeah. Which, you know, it's not the worst thing. Ever. But right. when you have something that was, like, as deeply rooted in sort of, like, an anti-nuclear message as the original Godzilla, it does kind of, you know, fall short when you watch, when you watch the new ones. Yeah, it's yeah. disappointing when you watch the new ones and you're like, oh, man, you had, like, a real opportunity to make a real statement yeah. here about something and you sort of just, like, wanted yeah. that part. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, Derek, I know that you thought a lot about sort of portrayals of nuclear weapons in Hollywood in general, 
right? Um, so, you know, things that you've been telling me about is that they don't actually show the damage caused by the weapons. You know, they're used as a DSS moxie, you know, a kind of plot device just to, like, oh, we can win with this thing. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, either, like, you know, it's a thing like, oh, we need to get the nuke out, or, you know, we, we can use this to defeat the monster, but they never actually show, like, if a nuke goes off, a lot of people will die. But in these movies, it never happens. Even in the most recent Godzilla movie, a nuke goes off, and, like... Godzilla just kind of like brushes it off and goes home. Yeah. And you don't really see like any any real destruction from it. One um, person dies. Yeah, yeah. Is is there one? One person dies. So it's like you know, like if you're gonna have, if you're gonna do it, you need to do it right. Because yeah. you know, you know, you know, these aren't just plot devices. These are very very dangerous weapons. So this is interesting. This is something that we've had a little bit of a disagreement in the mm-hmm. office about. The 2014 Godzilla movie setup is basically that these giant monsters have been slowly reawakening. Uh, that sometime in the primordial past, when there was more radiation on the planet, they like ate radiation or they were attracted to radiation. And so now in this nuclear era, they've been waking up as we've been testing bombs and have nuclear submarines and reactors, but they're still attracted to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I love, one of my favorite things is in the beginning in the 2014 movie, you know, um, they, they show the Castle Bravo test again, right? The critical point of the original movie, and it's Godzilla coming up to it, and they set it off, and then we find out later there's that great Ken Watanabe thing where he says, oh, they were trying to kill it. Not tests. They were trying to kill it. That was the yeah. purpose of all those tests. Yeah, it's like, it's like they got this close to, yeah. like, giving you what you wanted with the origin story. Like, they, mm-hmm. they nodded to it, kind yeah. of, and then they were like, it's not exactly how you thought. Yeah. So, so Rachel and Deverick don't like the 2014 movie. I like the movie. I just think the way they handled nukes in the movie was like, bad. Was bad. Okay. I mean, at one point you literally see see soldiers like carrying a missile. Right. You know, it's kind of like you know. So, so the sort of the the plot device of that movie was that they're going to use a nuke to kill these monsters that have woken up, right? Or they're going to. They bring an ICBM into San Francisco to try to lure them away, and then they can blow it up, right? And there's this great line where this Navy captain, uh, they they say, you know, we tried to kill it in the 60s. And he says, these are dollar yield weapons, you know. We're talking megatons, (laughs) not kilotons here. We're talking dollable yield. Megatons, not kilotons. It's wrong, for one thing, but... But for another, it's you guys are saying basically that, that this is part of the problem, right? Thinking that you can solve a problem with a nuclear weapon, right? Yeah, exactly. Especially a problem that you've tried to solve already yeah. with the nuclear weapon. And right. you think, we'll just get a bigger one and that'll, you know, that'll do it. Right, and there, I think too there's like this theme in the movie, right, of the scientists being like, are we sure that this is a good idea? And the military being like, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's a huge issue because that's what we're seeing now too kind of is like this like not, you know, scientists not being taken seriously. Yeah. And so to see that portrayal in Hollywood is kind of like exhausting. Yeah, um, but maybe truthful. But maybe truthful, yeah. that's true. Um, I guess it's like this question of like, does art imitate life or does yeah. life imitate art? And then the other thing, right, like, the military doesn't uh, start to agree that it's the wrong decision until they realize that they've severely messed up. Yeah. Like, the Muto steals the nuke, mm-hmm. and then they're like, shoot, like, what are we going <laughs> yeah. to do? Like, the enemy stole our weapon. Yeah, it buries it in the <laughs> middle of San Francisco. Yeah, and then they try to get it back, 
right? They do. And then they're like, okay, we've got it. We have no idea how to turn this thing off. Yeah. It's too late now, so we just need to get it into the ocean. Right, so they put it on a boat, they sail it out through the Golden Gate Bridge and out into the harbor, and it explodes. It explodes, yeah. yeah. You yeah. see the mushroom cloud and everything. And right. Then, like, has yeah. no effect on the creatures at all. You know, it's yeah. Godzilla that saves the day. Um, but this is this is kind of where I disagree with you guys. I think that it's an interesting nuke portrayal because the fact that the nuke gets away from them, the nuke becomes the bad guy of the movie. Like, yeah, Godzilla's fighting the other monsters, and it's great to watch, and everybody loves it. But the thing that the characters, that the humans are involved with, is trying to get this nuke the hell out of the city, right? They realize that that once you've let it off the chain, there's no stopping it, right? And that's something that I like. I think that that's something that we talk about a lot in this field now, is that nukes are just as dangerous to the people that control them as they are to potential adversaries, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, too, uh, again, I think it's the same thing as at the beginning of the movie for me, where I was like, they, like, almost gave it to me. They almost gave me what I wanted. It was so close. And I think that I would have been fine with it if it actually did get away from them. But it didn't. It, you know, like, they, they, like, wrestled it Yeah, they send it out to sea. I think the captain, the captain dies, captain of the boat dies, who, like, takes it out to sea. But other than that, it does what they wanted it to do. It attracts the mutos to the radiation. And then it lets Godzilla get rid of the mutos, and Godzilla's just like, all right, guys, you're welcome, bye. <laughs> so definitely problematic. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's, it's tough to find a movie in which somehow nuclear weapons aren't problematic, and I think that really speaks to what the heart of nuclear issues are, right? You know, they, some people say they're this necessary evil. Some people say they're terrifying and terrible. And there's a grain of truth in that. We've come to rely on them as a society for deterrence, but at the same time, they are one of the only existential risks to humanity as a whole, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you're gonna, my thing is, if you're gonna put them in a movie and you're gonna have one go off, show what's really gonna happen. Yeah. You know, I think people have trouble grappling with the fact that, like, yeah, we have these weapons, and if something bad happens, like a lot of people are going to die yeah. and we sort of try and like max that and like have the nuke go off in the bay yeah. and like you know knock Godzilla over and everyone right. goes home but that's not like a realistic right so, so you want the extra month after the movie where the trade winds have blown all this radiation yeah. on shore yeah. and all yeah. of California has to be evacuated there's no more fish yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. the ecosystem of California is destroyed <laughs> irreparably yeah. You know, if you make a mistake, like what you guys are saying, like they recognize, so we, we sent this nuke into the city. It's a mistake. If you make a mistake, and then you can't really have your mistake, like fix your mistake, but then the bomb also goes off. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't really make sense to me mm-hmm. in that way. You know? Okay. So, Rachel, you've been reading the reviews. Tell us a little bit about what people are saying about the new movie. So yeah, there are so there are a lot of reviews. They're not great. There's a lot of criticism of it being just another mindless blockbuster, which I, I think is something that we kind of expected. It's funny that you talked about how there's kind of they're creating this like Avengers of monsters. When I watched the trailer, it like reminded me of Pokemon, kind of you know, like they were like, like I choose you, and like they're very like the Millie Bobby Brown's main character in the trailers is like 
almost in love with these monsters. Like, she mm-hmm. sees them as these, like, beautiful creatures, and all of them do. They're like, yeah, let's invite Godzilla over for a beer. Yeah. And that's a joke in the trailer, but it's just, like, this general sentiment of, like, yeah, they're not that bad. Like, we'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah, and I like the, the line in the trailer is, like, so we even make Godzilla our pet. And then the guy's like, well, I think we even more be his. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. So I think it was interesting. The tra- A couple of the reviews said that there was this sentiment throughout the movie that of whether or not the ends justified the means. Mm-hmm. And the particular review that I read, it didn't like come to a specific conclusion about which, like, you know, whether or not the ends did justify the means. So I'll be interested to kind of watch and decide for myself right. what I think about that. But I think that's really if if that actually comes across, then that's an interesting political statement to make in a Godzilla movie. Yeah. Because that's a huge question I think that we pose in the arms control community all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like I we get what you're trying to accomplish here by having these weapons, but like ultimately What's the end game? Right. What's the end game? And would deploy would eventually deploying a nuclear weapon actually justify the goal that you have sure that's really interesting and then of course right like we're seeing in this new this new subset of movies Godzilla looks super different from OG Godzilla <laughs> like he used to be kind of cheesy and it was like People liked Godzilla because he looks kind of cheesy. Yeah, he used to break dance. Yeah. 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 I saw him drop kick a dude. Yeah. 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 As a kid, I thought it would be the best job ever. You know, you'd yeah. be in a giant rubber suit and break apart a scale model of Tokyo, you know? And now he's this, like, CGI, like, yeah. I don't even, like, king, literally. I mean, yeah. he's huge and he's terrifying and it's kind of it's kind of different it's like not as nostalgic i feel like as some of the other godzilla movies are interesting. so that's been an interesting kind of review too that people are like this doesn't really feel like godzilla because it's it's like too new mm-hmm. yeah like a lot of things right just yeah. everything is i mean this is a larger criticism of hollywood right now just constant reboots mm-hmm. and yeah. you know I but, saw they're doing a Rambo reboot. I, yeah, right. But, but I am happy that Godzilla is still sort of in the cultural, like, you know, scope here. You know, people are still interested, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that it's important that we continue to remember that, that this movie has a message or had a message, right? That's important. I have a question about the trailer. Uh-oh. In the trailer, is Godzilla, like, trapped? Do they have him contained in, like, some sort of... Because it looks like they're looking at him through, like, a glass while he's, like, swimming around. Yeah. Seems very odd to me that they would be able to trap Godzilla. Yeah, I don't think so, man. I mean, it's hard to imagine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, there is this kind of, what's the line? Like, uh, should we unleash? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Should we unleash Godzilla? Yeah, like, it's a thing that we can control and unleash when we need to. Yeah. Another great nuclear parable. Yeah. 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 I definitely think your point about like just continuing to think about these the original story of Godzilla I wonder if moving forward there's a way to get back to the origin story somehow with the franchise that still exists because I love that this like thing that draws tons of people to movie screens and there's another one in 2020 that's already like in production basically um, it's really cool that there is this nuclear message tied to something that everyone has heard of. Yeah. So do you think there's a way to tie it back in? Do you see a way right now? I feel like, like you guys are saying, I feel like so many of the parts are there, mm-hmm. right? And they're like, 
they're almost treated like Easter eggs, yeah. right? It's like, oh, well, you remember that Godzilla has a nuke message, right? Yeah. Okay, well, let's yeah. go watch them fight some more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, there is, like, I feel like they have a lot of the parlance about, you know, we have to unleash this weapon, you know, or um, can it be controlled, you know? Like, I feel like a lot of sort of the verbiage is there, right? But I would like to see like a more constructed focus on the issue itself a little bit. That doesn't mean that it has to be any less fun. We're still going to see a monster tear a bunch of other monsters apart at the end of the day. But I think that focusing on that more critical thinking sort of somber element can make for a better movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I 100% agree with that. I think that some of the best movies of the past 10 years have focused on intense things in a fun way. Maybe so, even just Godzilla being irradiated again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, oh, well, he saved us from that monster, but he also left behind all this fallout yeah. that's now yeah. giving us cancer. Yeah. 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 yeah, something. Something that ties back to the original purpose of the movie. Yeah. It doesn't have to be as deliberate as the 1954 one was, which was, like, very, very deliberate. Like, there's multiple scenes where, the, like, American nuclear testing is bad. Yeah. I don't think we need to go that far. I think we should ease people into it a little bit, but I definitely think that, you know... If somebody wants to get back to, to that original purpose, they can do it in a fun way. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, guys. I think that this was a really cool, fun conversation. So I really enjoyed this conversation. And I think it highlights something important. That despite the fun, campy, and action-packed spectacle that Godzilla has become, it has an important message. With nearly $2 trillion set to be spent on nuclear weapons over the next 30 years in the U.S., these messages remain important ones. Nukes are dangerous, and not just to the people that they might be used against. So when you go see the new movie, remember the important message of the original. Today, we love him for the thrills, but for Japanese moviegoers who 60 years ago waited in ticket lines for hours, Godzilla was something much more powerful, much more evocative. He was a reminder of the terrifying destructive power of nuclear weapons, A reminder that even the good and the bad, the innocent and the guilty, the pacifist and the warmonger, all are equally threatened by the most destructive weapons ever created by mankind. In a world that has now blissfully forgotten these nuclear nightmares, Godzilla can still serve as a potent reminder to us all. about Godzilla's nuclear history. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, you can check out an essay Debrick and I wrote for Inkstick Media called Will the Real Godzilla Please Stand Up? That's I-N-K-S-T-I-C-K media.com. While you're there checking out our piece, you should also check out their podcast called Things That Go Boom. It's pretty great. Also, if you have any questions or comments about the podcast, Feel free to email us at podcast at armscontrolcenter.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at nukes underscore of underscore hazard or on Facebook at facebook.com slash armscontrolcenter. Thanks for listening.